Chapter thirty seven of the Convict by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty seven. The night was very dark and blowing a gale of wind. The blast was not, indeed, directly upon the shore at the point of the coast nearest to Brandon, but about seven miles to the eastward. The line of the land took a bend towards the south, forming a low, shingly beach, with a spit of sand running out into the sea for full half a mile beyond the southernmost point of the cliffs, and against this shingly beach the gale blew hard and direct. The distance from Brandon House to the sea in a straight line was less than two miles, but Captain M, followed by five or six servants, took his way across the country towards that part of the coast on which he judged the ship must have stranded. Riding on rapidly, he arrived in about three-quarters of an hour, at a village some nine miles from brandon and calling at one or two of the houses he found that all the men warned by the signals of distress had gone down to the shore to give assistance he learned too some farther particulars of the disaster which had occurred and the exact spot where it had taken place pushing on without farther pause then he rode through the little village where as may be remembered Edgar Adelon obtained his first interview with Martin Oldkirk, and issuing forth at the farther end, he soon after came upon the seashore, where a lighted tar-barrel and several links shed a red glare over a terrible scene, which was also from time to time partially illuminated by glimpses of the moon, as the grey clouds, hurrying rapidly past, left her bright face visible for a moment and then concealed it again beneath their swarthy veil. A tall and beautiful vessel appeared aground at the distance of less than a hundred yards from the beach. The masts were all still standing, and the fine tracery of the rigging, partially seen by the lights upon the shore, was now and then rendered completely visible, when the moonlight broke forth behind for a moment, and brightened the stormy sky. Around the burning tar-barrel were several groups of men, with some women and children, and farther down upon the beach, even amidst the spray and foam, were others, one of whom held up a link, half extinguished by the dashing waves. An awful surf was falling in thunder upon the shore, and each mountain wave, as it rolled up, struck the unfortunate vessel on the stern and windward side, making a clear breach over her as she heeled towards the beach. When the moon was hidden, only the bow and the foremast could be seen by the lights on the shore, the rest of the ship being enveloped in darkness, except where the white surf rushed pouring over the hull, and sprang glittering up amongst the cordage. But when the momentary moon shone out, the shrouds, the tops, and many parts of the rigging were seen loaded with human beings, striving in agony to postpone the fate which seemed ready to fall upon them. There were shrieks and cries for help, and loud shouts of direction and command, but all were so mingled with the noise of the rushing wind and the thunder of the billows upon the shore that everything was indistinct, rising in one loud screaming roar to the spot at which the young officer had arrived. Drawing in his horse, he paused to gaze for a moment and consider what was expedient to be done, and at the same moment he perceived some of the men with that gallant and intrepid daring which characterises the boatmen on the English coast, endeavouring to launch a boat a little to windward of the stranded ship. With a loud cheer they pushed her down into the water as a wave receded, 
and with a tremendous effort was shoving her off when again the billows returned with a furious sweep capsized her in a moment and nothing was seen for several seconds but the figures of the men struggling in the surf and the black hull of the boat surrounded by the whirling eddies of the retiring wave for a moment it seemed as if several of the gallant fellows would be lost but some clung to the boat others scrambled back to the shore and one who was carried out striking hard for life was caught by another wave and dashed back again bleeding and almost senseless on the beach springing to the ground with several of the servants captain m hurried down to the principal group upon the beach and put one or two questions the import of which not being clearly seen at first by the men he addressed they answered somewhat sullenly my good sir he said speaking to a large square-built man of the middle age who seemed to be one of the principal boatmen i have been accustomed to these things and aided to save many lives on a worse coast than this the same means may prove effectual here but we must have recourse to them immediately or the ship will be a complete wreck in two hours there won't be one of her timbers together answered the man dully then the more need to get the people off her at once said captain m ay if you can do it said the boatman turning away stay a moment cried the young officer in a tone of command has any one got a gun with a large bore and a good long hank of stout but thin cord the object seemed to strike the man instantly and turning sharply round he laid his broad hand upon the young officer's shoulder exclaiming with an oath that's a good thought there's my large duck gun will do capitally and as for a cord you can't have anything better than one of our fish lines it's both light and strong all was changed in a moment the efforts of the crowd were turned in a different direction hope seemed to revive a number of fishing lines were brought forth the heavy gun was placed in captain m hands powder was procured a bullet pierced and attached to one end of the strong cord while the other end was fastened tightly to a thick rope every one aided and captain m having charged the piece advanced as far as he could down the beach so that the waves as they flowed up reached his knees and then prepared to fire before he did so however he turned to those behind him saying we shall have to try several times before we succeed so do not be disappointed if the first shot fails then elevating the gun he pulled the trigger in the hope that the bullet would carry the line over the rigging of the ship as he had foreseen however the first attempt was unsuccessful the sudden explosion of the powder broke the line before the bullet had got a foot from the mouth of the gun we must have less powder and a smaller ball said the young officer someone cut a piece out of my glove here to wrap it in perhaps we shall succeed better this time nor was he disappointed the ball carried the line clear over the ship between the main and foremasts and fell into the sea some way beyond the unhappy voyagers seemed to have comprehended the efforts made for their safety and had watched with eager eyes and in profound silence everything that was done not a word not a cry was uttered from the moment the first shot was fired and even when the second and more successful attempt was made they were all silent for the line was so fine they did not perceive that the efforts of their friends on shore had been successful so the gestures of the crowd rather than the voice of one of the boatmen speaking through a trumpet drew the attention of a sailor to the spot where the line had fallen the directions were then given to run it through a pulley and gently haul up the rope and this being accomplished 
the rope was made fast at both ends, and a means of communication, however frail, established with the shore. A shout of joy burst forth from the people of the ship, and a loud cheer answered it from the beach. There were many difficulties still to be overcome, however, for as the ship rocked to and fro when the waves struck her, there was a great chance of the rope snapping, especially if burdened with the weight of a man. But the son of one of the boatmen, a lad of about thirteen years of age, volunteered to try the dangerous path with a light hawser made fast round his middle. Slowly and with difficulty he pursued his way, holding on both by hands and feet. But his perilous task was at length accomplished, and as soon as the hawser was firmly fixed, he returned to the shore, bringing back the end of the rope first sent, which had been passed through a pulley, so as to play easily. Several of the men then came over from the ship without much difficulty, but this method was so slow that Captain M proposed another plan, which was immediately adopted when it was found that there were a number of women and children in the bark. One of the sails of a small lugger was detached from the yard, and the corners being gathered together and made quite secure, it was slung upon the hawser and connected with the rope passed through the pulley. It was thus easily moved backwards and forwards between the ship and the shore. Two and sometimes three people were brought to land at once, and joy and satisfaction displayed itself in every form and shape amongst those who were rescued from the grave. During the whole time that these operations had been proceeding, two men were seen standing together in the foretop, who, though they had busied themselves and desisted greatly in fastening the hawser and in passing the ropes, showed no anxiety to save themselves, aiding, indeed, to put the women and children into the sail, but remaining perfectly calm and motionless while the others passed to the shore. There was something in their manner and appearance which struck Captain M, not a little, and advancing to one of the persons who had first come over, he inquired who those two persons were. "'They're passengers from Sydney, sir,' replied the man. "'Perfect gentlemen, both of them, and two brave fellows as ever lived, "'for if it had not been for them, we should have all lost heart long ago.' "'While he was speaking, some of the men who remained on board "'seemed by their gestures to urge the two gentlemen to go over, "'and the shorter of the two, taking a child in his arms from one of the sailors, "'it was the only child left, stepped into the sail, "'and holding fast by the rope above, was speedily drawn to land. A woman who had been brought across some time before with two other children now rushed almost down into the sea when this new freight approached, as if afraid the man would drop the child. But the young gentleman, for he seemed very young and was evidently of a superior class, placed the little boy safely in her arms, saying, He is quite safe and warm. The mother prayed God to bless him, but at the same moment his hand was taken by Captain M, and shaken heartily, while one of the servants exclaimed, "'Mr. Adelon! Hooray! Hooray!' and half the people on the beach took up the cry, and waved their hats joyfully. But Captain M and Edgar Adelon were speaking together eagerly, and in a low voice, while the latter pointed once or twice to the foretop of the stranded vessel, as if explaining to his friend that someone whom they both knew was there. Several other persons then landed, so that the number on the shore amounted to nearly sixty, besides the inhabitants of the neighbouring huts and villages. Amongst the last who appeared was Edward Dudley, and he was warmly greeted by Captain M, 
though his appearance now it must be remarked notwithstanding his being somewhat worn and tempest-tossed was very different from that of the nameless fisherman by the nameless lake the servants of sir arthur adelon were standing at some distance while their young master spoke with captain m and dudley taking the arm of the latter walked slowly away with him up the beach and out of the light of the fire but edgar turned to speak a few minutes to his fellow-travellers giving kind and liberal orders for their comfort and accommodation i do not wish said dudley addressing captain m to be recognised just at present i will choose my own time and my own manner and you may doubtless divine the reasons as i know you have been made acquainted with a considerable portion of my history i can easily conceive replied captain m that you have a great many painful and unpleasant things to go through which you would desire to do in your own way but i congratulate you most sincerely mr dudley not alone upon your salvation this night but upon your restoration to your country and your friends your property and your reputation i trust this storm will be the last you will have to encounter god only knows replied dudley but for the future my dear sir i shall be less apt than in earlier years to give way either to hope or to despair hope is the best of the two replied the young officer in a lighter tone it comes from heaven and is an ingredient more or less in everything that is good and high and holy the other comes from below leading to all that is evil and dark and disastrous choose hope then my good friend but here comes some one quickly after us i trust none of the men are much injured none of the survivors answered dudley gravely but twenty or thirty perished when the ship first struck mr adelon sent me sir said a rough but not unpleasant voice to show one of you two gentlemen the way to my cottage it is the gentleman who was on the wreck he continued looking at dudley who said in reply that he was willing to go wherever the other should lead then i will leave you now said captain m in a low voice and your secret is perfectly safe with me depend upon it but i trust that we shall meet again before i depart for london and if not here in the great city i will certainly find you out replied dudley for the scene and the circumstances in which we first met are never to be obliterated from memory nor the kindness with which you soothed and relieved at a moment when i thought there was none to help then they parted and after taking a few steps forward with the stout broad-set countryman who had been sent up to him dudley inquired how far they were from brandon hard upon eleven miles sir replied the man then the place where we run ashore must be what they call beach rock spit i suppose rejoined dudley just so sir said the man the rock that names it is about two miles farther on t'other side of the spit as we call it but the village is up hard by not above a quarter of a mile inland do you know of a man of the name of martin oldkirk asked dudley after advancing a few paces farther he must live in that village i think yes i know him answered the countryman abruptly what do you want with him i want some conversation with him answered dudley i bring him some news of distant friends and had indeed brought him a letter but that with all the rest of my baggage is in the unfortunate ship which will be a total wreck before to-morrow i'm sorry for that sir said his companion for to tell you the truth i am martin oldkirk myself so you may speak away as fast as you please by and by will do answered dudley for i shall be very glad old kirk if you can let me lodge in your cottage for a night or two at all events you will allow me to dry my clothes there 
and while that is doing we can talk of other things i should be very happy to lodge you sir replied the man in a civil tone but lord bless you sir it is not fit for such as you and besides there's but one bed and a bare bedstead in the place the bare bedstead will do well enough for me replied dudley at least for the present and to-morrow perhaps you will be able to procure me something else doubtless to-night every house and every bed in the place will have more than its fair share of occupants we may be quite sure of that answered martin oldkirk but i can get you some good hay and a clean pair of sheets and that with plenty of coats and things to keep you warm will be better lodging than where you were like to have lodged an hour or two ago that is true answered dudley and i should be a fool to grumble you know a certain mr norris oldkirk do you not that i do replied the man with a start poor gentleman i am sorry for him he deserved better but he might have got worse and one thing will always make his heart light he never betrayed any one though he might have got off himself if he had peached against others but he always was an upright man and readier to hurt himself than any one else but i can't help thinking of him often and how hard it is that he should be out there working like a galley-slave when he only wished to free his country i dare say he's very sad-like isn't he sir for i take it you have come from that place don't you make your mind easy about his fate answered dudley for he was well and happy when i saw him and would not i believe come back to england even if they would let him he is under no restraint either except that he cannot return from banishment ay they will find out what a man they've lost answered oldkirk i should have liked to have seen his handwriting once again however but there we are just at the cottage and i will blow you up a fire in a minute and then run and get some things that you may want a glass of brandy and water wouldn't be amiss nor against father matthew either for i'm quite sure that the doctor would order it for you after having gone through such a business i'm accustomed to privation in storm and tempest answered dudley entering the cottage so do not give yourself much trouble about provisions my good friend but for some reason or another martin oldkirk though as we have seen not given at all times to very intense courtesy was determined to do the best he could to make his guest comfortable and having blown the smouldering embers of his fire into a blaze and piled on a quantity of mingled coal and wood he went out again upon his hospitable errand dudley took off his coat and waistcoat to dry them at the fire and drawing a pocket-book from the pocket of the former examined the papers which it contained carefully to ascertain that they had not been injured by the sea-water the spray of the waves having dashed over him for several hours the leathern cover of the book was completely wet but the contents were safe enough and after seeing that some documents apparently official were all uninjured he read over by a candle which his host had lighted some memoranda written in a clear clerk-like hand ay if he will answer me he said commenting as he read but i doubt the fact it is most unfortunate the loss of my baggage it cannot be helped however and after all it is not vengeance i seek nevertheless the power to thwart this man's evil schemes was something and sitting down by the fireside he fell into thoughts from which he was roused in about twenty minutes by the sudden lifting of the latch of the door and the entrance of edgar adelon and captain m they are all safe said edgar and now what will you do dudley i shall ride on to brandon at once and i will remain here edgar replied the other if you are quite sure that none of the servants recognize me 
I remembered the butler's face at once. "'I do not believe that anyone saw you,' replied Edgar, "'and I suppose the best plan will be to act in the manner that was previously arranged. "'For our shipwreck here,' he added with a smile, "'has merely landed us a hundred miles nearer Brandon.' "'The only thing,' replied Dudley, "'that is necessary is not to mention to anyone my return to England "'till I have time to arrange all my plans.' nor indeed to say that you have met with me at all or heard anything concerning me but eda said the young gentleman what to her dudley oh tell her of course replied his friend i could not keep her in unnecessary suspense for a moment for she will see the necessity of her acting differently towards others a slight smile came upon the lip of captain m as he heard their conversation "'I do not know whether you are aware,' he said, "'but there are a good many guests at Brandon, "'reputed suitors of the young lady. "'Indeed, it is more like the hall of Ulysses "'during his absence than anything else. "'But I suppose,' he continued, "'with a gay glance towards Dudley, "'the wandering king of Ithaca "'will some day soon return to claim his own "'and drive these daring mortals from the gates.' "'His words did not cheer Dudley, "'for there were still too many difficulties in his path. Too many painful circumstances in his situation for anything like gay hope to brighten the cloudy aspect of his fate and as he did not himself reply edgar reverted to what they had been speaking of before and said well i will ride on then at once and i suppose i shall hear from you as to farther proceedings oh yes i shall easily find a messenger replied dudley and once more shaking hands warmly with captain m he saw him and his companion depart little delay was made upon the road by captain m and edgar adelon although the latter had a strong inclination to choose the right-hand road where it parted from the highway to barhampton leading direct to clive grange he refrained however remembering that his father must know of the wreck and might hear that he was on board on arriving at brandon house the tranquil aspect of all things and the servant's reply that Sir Arthur was playing at piquet showed him that no great anxiety on his account had found its way into his father's bosom, and consequently proceeding to the library himself, he requested Captain M to send Eda to him, as we have seen he did. The moment she appeared, he took her in his arms and kissed her, with fraternal affection, saying, "'I have just escaped death, dearest Eda, and I wanted to see you before I see anyone else.' "'for I have good news for you. "'Dudley is well, is here in England, "'and has received a full pardon.' "'Eda turned very pale, "'pressed her hand upon her heart, "'and grasped the arm of a chair for support. "'Stay, stay, Edgar,' she said. "'Do not tell me too much at once. "'A full pardon, do you say? "'But still the stain will remain upon his name.' "'Edgar drew back a step "'and gazed at her gravely, almost sternly. "'And would that make any difference to you, Eda, when you knew him, when you felt him to be innocent?' he demanded. Eda waved her hand with a look of reproach. "'None, Edgar, none,' she answered. "'You cannot suppose such a thing for a moment. "'But it will make a great difference to him. "'I know Dudley well, and I feel sure that these things will cast a shadow over his whole life "'if his innocence cannot be clearly established. "'But yet I will not regret it.' she cried rising with a brighter look and laying her hand upon her cousin's arm 
it will give me the means dear edgar of proving to him what devotion and attachment a woman's heart is capable of the vision of my young love when first he and i knew each other now eight years ago will now indeed be realized i thought then how happy it would make me to show such a man as that that no circumstances of fortune no inducements no unworthy obstacles could affect in the slightest degree my attachment when once given upon just and reasonable grounds now i can prove it to him all and i am ready to prove it i am sorry dear girl to dispel your visions of devotion answered edgar gaily but here though you can make him as happy as man need be by giving him your fair hand and your true heart you cannot cheer him under the doubt and suspicion of the world for from that he is now quite cleared his pardon was not granted till his innocence was proved beyond a doubt by the acknowledgment of him who did the deed for which he has been so great a sufferer and be assured that he will not rest satisfied until by act of parliament his condemnation is reversed i will tell you more hereafter dear cousin and now i will go and see if i can find fitter clothes to appear in this smart house for during the last year and a half i have been much more accustomed to sit in ships cabins or to range wild woods than to take my place in a gay drawing-room but remember eda not one word of dudley's return nor of his pardon there is much to be done and thought of eda would fain have had some explanations regarding the wreck of the vessel which brought her cousin over but edgar answered gaily i will tell all that to the assembled multitude in the drawing-room and then he in turn asked questions about clive grange and its inhabitants but eda replied in the same tone in which he had spoken i will tell you all that to-morrow edgar you cannot see helen to-night nor indeed to-morrow either for she and mr clive are both absent i find and do not return till the end of the week with that they parted End of chapter 37